0: All right, let me invite you to take your Bible and go with me to Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 20 this morning. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. As we are uh, getting closer to wrapping up chapter 3, we'll we'll finish that next week. And this morning, we're really um, looking at the question who is this man? Now, this morning we're going to see really two instances where uh, where people misunderstand who Jesus is. The first one of these is going to come from his own family in the first couple of verses of our passage. And then we're going to uh, shift again to the religious leaders who will, once again, misunderstand who Jesus is. And then we'll get into what Jesus uh, refers to. As an eternal sin, a sin that can never be forgiven, and and we'll talk about exactly what that is. Now, now keep in mind at, at this point, conflict is nothing new to Jesus. In fact, throughout uh, from from chapter two, verse one through uh, chapter three, verse six, we saw five different scenes of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. Uh, all of that kind of culminated with two issues over the Sabbath. And ultimately, the, the scribes, we, we were told, going out and seeing how they might kill him in, in chapter 3, verse 6. And So since then, um, we, we saw last week, we saw, or a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus ministering to the multitudes. And then uh, we saw him calling out the 12 apostles this morning, we're going to see yet two more scenes of conflict, really, as I said, centering on, on this question, who is this man? What do we do with Jesus? And, and how do we, as followers of Christ, handle opposition to the things of God? All right, so that's where we are. Uh, if you will follow along with me, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together once again and and the technology that makes that available, and thank you for providing a way for us to meet in person again next week. And So I pray at the beginning, we pray for safety and wisdom as we make those plans this week. Father, this morning, will you speak through your word? Will you show us how Christ Jesus handled opposition, how we can handle opposition that still arises because of the gospel, maybe even from unlikely places? And this morning, will you show us the gravity of sin? For anyone watching or listening who does not yet know Christ Jesus as Savior, will you show us, will you reveal to them the seriousness of rejecting Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? Everything that I say this morning, bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to see is that uh, followers of Christ will face strife from even unlikely sources. For instance, look at me at verse 20. Jesus entered a house. The crowd again gathered so that they were not even able to eat. Now, now, at first glance here, right off the bat, it seems like things are going pretty well in Jesus's ministry. Jesus and the disciples are, are back in Capernaum, and, and we... we Assume that they're when it says that they're at a house that that's likely uh, Simon Peter's house, which kind of has become uh, Jesus's home base for ministry, and we'll, we'll serve that as that for the remainder of his ministry. And once again, the crowds are pressing in on Jesus to the, to the point we're told that they that he and the disciples can't even prepare a meal and eat it. There are that many people they're, they're they're pressing into the house and they're they're constantly seeking his attention to the to the point maybe there's no room maybe there's no maybe they're not giving them any, giving him and the disciples any time to to prepare a meal and and eat it and then in verse twenty one Jesus's family shows up we're not told exactly who this is we would assume um, that this probably includes his mother Mary as well as uh, brothers and sisters? And it says, when, they, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. Now, now the word restrain in, in, our, in, in the Christian Standard Bible could also be translated as arrest. In other words, they're trying to stop Jesus. They're trying to stop what they see as this madness because they said he's out of his mind. Now, now, apparently they were okay when Jesus was teaching, but now things are getting out of hand. The, the stories about him maybe are becoming a little bit stranger. He's even gone against the, the Pharisees and the scribes teaching about the Sabbath. We're told in uh, John chapter 7, verse 5, that, that his brothers did not believe in him. And, and actually, we even see his mother Mary misunderstanding Jesus' purpose. We see that in Luke 2 with the the boy Jesus at, at the temple. Remember uh, Mary and Joseph have been in Jerusalem and they are on their way back to Nazareth and it says they'd gone a day and they realize that he's not with them. So they travel back a day to Jerusalem and then it, it's, we're told that they take a day searching for Jesus. They find him in the temple learning from the religious leaders and, and it said amazing them with, the, with his questions. Mary and Joseph, as you, as you can imagine, if you've ever um, had a moment where you, where you couldn't find a child for a little while, they're, they're immensely relieved to find Jesus and probably livid that, that he left them. And so as they're chastising him, the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the response they get from the 12-year-old Jesus is simply this. Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? We see it again uh, perhaps in, in John chapter 2 um, with the wedding at Cana where, where the wine is run out and Mary approaches Jesus and says uh, there is no more wine and, and Jesus simply tells her my time has not yet come. We don't know exactly what she was expecting him to do, but uh, we, we see Mary a couple of times misunderstanding Jesus' purpose. And and, and in this case, his brothers and sisters are misunderstanding why Jesus had come and things were getting uncomfortable. Now, keep in mind, this is this this is taking place in a first century Jewish culture, an Eastern culture, vastly different from anything we, we know now in the West, where honor and shame were very real things. And so if if Jesus is is doing these things and bringing attention to himself and going against the religious leaders and the scribes, there's a potential of shaming his family, which would have uh, grave social consequences. So they, they come to him, and, and, and we're told they, they come seeking to restrain him. Now It could simply be this, right? Jesus, we see that you're doing a lot of good, but, but can't you just hone it down a little bit? You know, Jesus, you're, you're teaching some good things, and you've, you've healed these people, and that's, and that's wonderful. But, but do you have to be so fanatical about this? This opposition is actually arising from Jesus' family who misunderstand his purpose. Now, as followers of Christ, we are promised Opposition. But sometimes, maybe even often times, it comes from unexpected places, much like the opposition Jesus faced. See, stories abound of people who've come to faith in Christ and, and felt a strong calling on their life to do something. Maybe, maybe it's to switch careers. Maybe it is something we would say is drastic of, of packing up and moving across the the world to go serve as a missionary somewhere else, and we'll often hear, "Can't can't you? Do, do you have to be so fanatical about that? Can't can't you just can't you just tone it down?" Known many who who get saved and realize the radical transformation that's taken place in their life and they want others to know about that so they start sharing the gospel and they hear this often. Do you, you know, that's great, that works for you, but, but just, just tone it down. See, as you follow Christ, it's, it's possible that opposition is going to rise even from those closest to you at times. Sometimes even those who would claim to be followers of Christ are opposed to real moves of the Holy Spirit in the lives of followers of Christ. It's not to say that we don't seek wisdom. None of us is infallible. So so anytime we we sense the Lord calling us to something, it's always good to to seek out wise counsel from, from other mature believers. But understand that there will be times where there is opposition, even from those who claim to be followers of christ in this case jesus's own family opposing the son of god this is just a reminder to us of what jesus says in matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 36 says don't assume that i came to bring peace on the earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword For I came to turn a mother against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now certainly in in our own culture, we don't see often where, um, where, where families are actually turned against each other because of the sake of the gospel. We hear stories often, particularly in uh, in Muslim-dominant countries, where when someone comes to faith in Christ, their life may be marked by their own family. And it's part of what uh, Islam considers a mercy killing. If someone is considering uh, rejecting Islam and turning to faith in Christ, in, in some sects of Islam, it's justifiable to kill that person so that they don't reject Allah and turn to Christ Jesus. Even in what we might consider more moderate uh, Muslim households, stories abound of people being banished from the family. In fact, in some Jewish cultures, there are even uh, stories of families holding funeral ceremonies for those who have become followers of Christ because they are considered dead to the family because they have rejected the faith. Again, maybe you're the only believer in your family and, and the, rest of your, the rest of your family just doesn't understand why you do what you do. Why, why, why can't you come spend time with us on Sunday morning? Why are you always at church? Why, why, why are you so concerned with that Bible that we, we, we might face opposition even from those who are closest to us? And what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't assume that I came to bring peace. In other words, don't just assume that become, you become a follower of Christ. Everything will go smooth and we'll never face any opposition. We're even seeing that right now in our own culture. As, as churches are coming back and begin meeting in person, there are some, some in some states some rather strict guidelines about what can and cannot be done in uh, religious worship ceremonies. Religious worship services where where governments are actually trying to place restrictions on what local churches can do when they gather. I think we're going to see some some opposition from that. Not I won't step in and call it persecution because I don't think that matches up to what believers in Iran and and North Korea experience. But we could definitely see that some government overreach and and there may be some some opposition and some uh, some churches that that wind up in court over their. As they proclaim, this is how we, when we gather, these are the things that we do. Well, can't you just tone it down? We can't tone down our worship. We, we've been saved by an amazing God who sent his only son to the earth to save us, to pull us out of the depths of sin and, and despair and death we've been raised to life and now we have the joyful opportunity and privilege to proclaim that through song to proclaim the the life death and resurrection of Christ through through things like communion baptism we Gather together as a a body of Christ, not just because we like being in this building, but because we believe we've been called by God to gather with other believers. And we'll do so regardless of opposition that may arise. See, believers will face strife from expected sources, even from unlikely sources. I heard a pastor one time talking to uh, at a pastor's conference talking to, to a group of pastors and youth pastors, and, and he said, you know, we, we expect to, be, to get attacks from the, from the outside world. We expect the world to reject the gospel. We don't expect those who claim to be followers of Christ to attack. And he said one of the most profound things I've ever heard, that is, he said, sheep bites hurt worse than wolf bites because you expect the wolf to bite you. Even sometimes those who claim to be followers of Christ will attack and will oppose a true working of the Spirit of God. So, so to us who, who are followers of Christ, who make that claim, my, my call to you is simply this. Be sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Be knowledgeable about Scripture so that we can, when we see someone claiming something of the Holy Spirit that is clearly not, that doesn't line up with Scripture, we, we can call that out but also understand that God still moves today in mighty ways. And just because we're uncomfortable with something doesn't mean it's wrong. right? One of the the best things I've ever heard is just because you're offended does not mean you're right. So let us check our own hearts as followers of Christ to make sure we are not opposing the things of God. we get into verse 23 through the end of this uh, passage the end of verse 30 and we we see that those who reject Christ will face eternal separation from God this is what he says so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables oh sorry let me back up Uh, 22 the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons so here's the accusation to Jesus that is, that he is actually possessed, and they mention a name here, by Beelzebub. Um, and, and Beelzebub, in, in first century culture, it was, it was um, generally believed that Beelzebub was a, a chief demon in Satan's army. Maybe even the, the ruler of the demons, as it says here. He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. goes on to say, so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So, so what we have here are, are these religious leaders accusing Jesus. They, they can't deny the works that he's done, that he's cast out demons, that he's healed those with diseases. They, they, they can't deny those works. In fact, they've seen them with their own eyes. So they have to come up with some other explanation. And so uh, when you see a supernatural act, you have to have a supernatural explanation. So they, they, they can either attribute uh, the works of Jesus to Almighty God, which means he is who he said he is. And that means they have to readjust some things in their lives. Or they can attribute the works of Jesus to Satan. In which case, their opposition to him would be completely justified. So they come accusing Jesus of being possessed by a demon and working, in fact, for the kingdom of Satan. This is a serious charge. I've never been accused of being possessed by a demon, but I would imagine that's not something that one takes lightly when, when that accusation is thrown out. However, Jesus goes on to explain that, that's, that argument, that accusation doesn't hold water. How can Satan drive out Satan? And he goes on and says to speak to them in parables. And this is the first mention. This is the first time the word parables is used in Mark's gospel. Um, Now, Jesus has used them. Uh, We saw that in chapter 2 when when he was talking about fasting. Um, And he used the illustration of the bridegroom. But This is the first explicit mention of parables. And in this parable that he tells, this story about the strong man uh, who's tied up and then his house is plundered. And so in that parable, Satan is the strong man in the house. He has some power. He is strong. He has some power. But he will ultimately be overpowered. And his house will be plundered by the one who is stronger, namely Jesus. And then at the end of this passage, Jesus gives us a promise and a warning. And and with that warning, I think, comes maybe the harshest, the, 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 the hardest teaching in all of the New Testament. First, the promise. Start with the good news, right? If somebody comes to you and says, I have good news and I have bad news, which do you want first? You always want good news first. Okay, give me good news. Good news. People will be forgiven for all sins and blasphemies they utter. So even Jesus' family who tried to restrain him, who tried to hold him back from from his purpose and the calling that that he had on his life, can be forgiven. And and they are. In fact, Jesus' brother James becomes a key leader in the early church in acts and acts and writes that book bearing his name in the New Testament, writes the, the letter of James. But then he says there is this sin that's unforgivable. Namely, it's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in this context, what, what that is, is, is attributing the, the works of Jesus to a demon as the scribes did. But at its core, it goes a little bit different. So maybe you're saying, well, I've, I've never accused Jesus of having a demon. Okay, that's good. Uh, but, but the principle behind this goes just a little bit deeper. And, and at its core, it's a rejection of Jesus as the one sent from God to be the Savior. It's rejecting the call to repent of sins. And turn to Jesus. And that call is serious business. That's why at the beginning, the title of this message is, Who is this man? What do we do with these truths? You may remember one scene in the, in the Gospels where Jesus approaches the disciples and said, Who do the crowds say I am? Gets the response. They, they start spitting out some of the stuff that they've heard. Well, some say Elijah, maybe one of the prophets. Some say John the Baptist that's come back from the dead. And okay, that's all well and good. And then then Jesus turns it personal and says, but who do you say I am? See, ultimately, it doesn't matter who anyone else says Jesus is. We, we still live in a culture a, a bit, I think, that that when, when folks have been raised in church or, or when grandmom and granddaddy were, were christians and mom and daddy were christians they then then that means i'm a christian when i'm born in the united states which is a christian country so i'm a christian if i was born in in iran which is a muslim country i'd be a muslim i'm a christian by by way of birth and no that's that's not how this works the bible is very clear we each of us must turn from sin and turn to christ I think the Bible's also clear that that call goes out to everyone. It's a choice every person has to make. Who is this man? So first of all, if you're watching this live stream this morning and you are curious about what, what that maybe tug on your heart is to, to reject a, a lifestyle of sin and self and to turn to Christ Jesus, we would say that's the, that's the Holy Spirit's tug on your heart to repent. word we used to use for that it was, it was you need to get saved and turn, turn to Christ Jesus. It's not politically correct, I guess, to say that anymore, but it's still true. You need to get saved. I'll share with you in just a moment how to do that. question we always have when we come to this passage is who's in danger of, of this of committing this sin that will never be forgiven well first of all let me say that for believers this is not possible right if we've been moved from the uh, domain of darkness to the kingdom of the uh, beloved son as we see in um, in colossians uh, chapter 1 we we cannot be we we cannot be condemned If you are concerned about this, have have I committed this sin? I think the Bible would would be clear that no, that that doesn't yet apply to you. Maybe you've not yet come to the place where you've accepted Christ, but you've also not outright rejected him beyond all hope. There is still hope. Understand this call to repentance is urgent. Mainly because none of us knows how, how long we have here. None of us knows how long we have on this earth. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next 10 minutes. So let me plead with you this morning, the same thing that the writer of Hebrews pleaded with his readers in, in Hebrews chapter 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Repent. Turn away from sin. Turn to Christ Jesus. If you're watching this live stream and you're curious about how you can do that, about what that looks like, let me share with you this very simple prayer. As, as I say every Sunday, these are not magic words. There's no gospel pixie dust. These are just some words to help you pray, to fr- give you a framework to cry out to God and ask him to forgive your sins. You can pray this today. Dear Jesus, my life is broken. and I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is God of all and I will follow him. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there are a few ways you can get in touch with us. One is if you are watching on our website, um, there's a there's a form directly below the the live stream uh, the, the live stream box where, where you can fill that out and say I, I prayed to receive Christ or I need to know a little bit more about that. You can also text this number that's right up here on, on the screen. I'd love to get in touch with you this week and let you know how you can follow Christ Jesus. You can call that number, leave a voicemail, you can. Text that number. I'd love to share with you how how you can come to know Christ Jesus. Now, now believers, it calls the same to us. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Let us be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, especially in these next few months where where we come back together and it's going to be weird. It's not going to be business as usual. We've already said we're not going to have Sunday school. We're not going to have nursery. We're not going to have Wednesday night or kids' church. There's there's so many things that are not going to happen. So as as followers of Christ gathered at First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, join me in praying for wisdom. Join me in seeking the Lord's face as we make decisions. There might even be some some things we do that you don't particularly like or care for or or understand. That's fine. Reach out to us and let's, let's walk through this together. We're all seeking wisdom. None of us knows how to navigate all these issues that we're facing right now. We desperately need the Lord's leading and his wisdom and his mercy and forgiveness as we we take this one step at a time. Thank you so much for joining us today on this live stream. It's been a joy to, to be with you here. As I said before, I'm so grateful for the technology that allows us to to meet when we have not been able to meet in person. Um, But I'm also really, really excited to have people gathered in this room for us to be able to lift high our voices in song, to open up God's word together. To celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have some individual packets so that we can do that in a sanitary and safe way. Um, But as we gather together as the body of Christ, I'm praying he will move powerfully in and through us. We close in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage that reminds us we we live in a a world and in a culture that does not understand the things of God and we'll face opposition from that. And at times we'll even face opposition from, from people who claim to be followers of Christ. Help us to keep from being discouraged but refine our faith through your word. Help us to seek godly counsel from others before we just dive into things that may seem crazy to to the watching world, and yet, if that's your call in our lives, give us the boldness to pursue it. I pray we would all have soft hearts. We would repent of sins. Our hearts would be guided by your word, not by other voices. Father, I pray for those watching this stream or listening to this audio that may not have a relationship with Christ. I pray today's the day that you would arrest their hearts. Convict them of sin. Lead them to a place where they Turn away from sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, moving them from the kingdom of darkness into the to the kingdom of Your Son, the kingdom of everlasting light. I pray as we continue to, as we begin to come back from isolation and shut down, that You would You would keep us safe. I also pray that these last two months have refined our priorities, have refined our trust in you, have shown the the, the futility of trusting in the things of this earth. I pray as we begin to interact with people again, that would give us many opportunities for gospel conversations, to share... In, in, in and in a day and age where there's so much information that's being shared, so many questions about what's true and what's not, you would allow us to share the foundational truth of all human history. You sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. May you change hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being with us tomorrow. We'll see you next week in person. God bless you. Have a great week.